songs were sung, tea was drunk, chocolate was eaten. It was excellent. Very good. And uh, five nil win thrown into the mix. That always helps, doesn't it? Well, yeah. yeah I'm, I missed the game due to family commitments, as they as they say. Uh, that's not a euphemism for some kind of illicit activity. It was actually family commitments. It was a, a pretty decent performance from a very patched up United side. I mean, it's, it's hard to not call it a decent performance after a five nil win, isn't it? But it, it was a very very odd side to start with. I mean, it, obviously injuries had forced Antonio Valencia and Michael Carrick into the back four, and then Ferguson chose to rotate some other resources as well. So it left Darren Gibson and Ryan Giggs as a central midfield pairing, not not necessarily the one everyone would choose. And and Rooney and Welbeck, who've who've been playing well of late, um, were on the bench. But given that all those changes, it could have been one of those games that that uh, was a bit of a banana skin, especially with Wigan having pulled off a couple of decent results recently, draws against Chelsea and Liverpool. But uh, but in the end, uh, easy win for United. Helped, I've got to say, hugely by a, a very poor refereeing decision from Phil Dowd, who uh, who sent off Connor Salmon for for no particular reason at all. I mean, from Phil Dowd's angle, obviously he must have believed that Salmon had either elbowed or deliberately slapped Michael Carrick in the face. I don't quite know how he could have seen that. Although, you know, perception plays tricks. This is the thing that when when referees make really outlandishly terrible decisions, you know, sometimes you think you see something that you don't quite see because, you know, the nature of sight is that it's about, it's a pro, you know, a certain amount of information comes in and then the brain processes it and, you know, it, it receives an upside down image and turns it the right way up and all that cool stuff about how the eye works so you know referees can see things very differently in that one split second when they actually see it to what happens but of course the thing is if you're going to send off someone you really need to be sure of what you've seen and and I don't quite know how he could have been but obviously he believed he was well yeah I guess so I mean it, it, the the press reaction as always is you know, United received favourable decisions at Old Trafford and, and of <laughs> course that was the, the blogosphere reaction or the, at least the ABU part of the blogosphere reaction and, and Roberto Martinez came out and said something very similar and I, I really don't think it's anything like that I mean Phil Dowd has has, uh, has made some decisions against United in the past it's, but it was just a really odd decision I think uh, I think we'd be rightly furious if that had been a United player uh, it clearly wasn't a swinging arm and I think the law is there and designed to protect players from the swinging arm which can cause real damage and and that was nothing yeah. of the sort that was a that was a, a player backing in and holding off his opponent and and uh, it, it's a foul, but I, I would say no more than that. But there you go, United United aided greatly by that because it was 1-0 at the time and uh, the match could have been very different. You say that, of course, a swinging arm can be very dangerous and uh, when we last recorded the show, we believed that Phil Jones was injured and out for six weeks, but turns out that no, actually, he is properly superhuman after all and our earlier suspicions were correct. Clint Dempsey's elbow is not made out of kryptonite and he just missed the Wigan game apparently through illness, but we'll be back in contention for Blackburn this weekend. Yes, which is which is good news. I mean, 11 players out at the moment, if you if you count Smalling and Jones, who are both ill, and obviously Rio's back's gone again. Uh, long-term injury victims, Michael Owen, Anderson, Cleverly, Nemanja Vidic. There's, I think, yeah, I think I said 11. You could pick a full side, although uh, not quite sure who'd go in goal, but I'm sure we can injure one of the goalkeepers just to make sure. Yeah, no, and then re-sign John O'Shea. There you go, yeah. So it's 
it's a bad time, and especially with so many games, and, and we're just uh, just a bit fortunate that it's, it's quite an easy run of fixtures at the moment, and, and this is helping United build up some momentum, which, I mean, it's the, the, we, we spent so long worrying about how United were grinding out 1-0 wins while actually playing pretty poorly most of the time, and, and now two 5-0 wins back-to-back. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I only saw the game much of the day, so all I really am qualified to talk about is the goals. Uh, Dimitar Berbatov hat-trick! My favourite words in the English and Bulgarian languages. What, what is it in Bulgarian, by the way? I, I don't know, but Dimitar Berbatov presumably is not English words, it's Bulgarian words, right? Mm. Um, anyway, hat-trick-ski? No, sorry, sorry. Deep, deeply offensive to our Bulgarian listeners there. I can only apologise. Look, the word, the word hat-trick-ski is not offensive in my culture. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, that's okay then. Yeah, good, good. And, and uh, yeah, some fine goals as well. I mean, obviously had an excellent goal against Fulham last week, the, the the flick through the back of his legs. And and then um, I thought in particular Berbatov's second goal against Wigan, oh. the, the turn and the toe poke into the roof and that was definitely rising when it hit the net and a uh, fine goal all ran and didn't look like a player short of confidence. Well, the thing is, as soon as that flick went in, I, I kind of thought, ah, oh, brilliant, that, that goal against Fulham. As soon as that went in, you think, brilliant, that's it, Berbatov's back. And he's back now until he misses a sitter, in which, at which point he won't score for another six weeks. Yeah, I mean, he, he went in burst last season. In fact, all through his United career, his, his record against particularly what you'd consider lower-ranked teams is, is decent. And then uh, the, the record against uh, certainly the knockout stages of Champions League and, and higher-ranked teams, the Liverpool hat-trick aside is is not very good and that, that has tended to be Berbatov and, and it's, it's, still a, it's still a debate are United going to keep him or not they can trigger the clause um, is uh, one of his agents and although not, not Danchev who seems to be the guy who is the normal mouthpiece so it may well be just a guy pretending to be his agent has said that, uh, that they are in preliminary talks with Bayer Leverkusen and United have till January the 2nd to activate this one year one way extension and uh, it'll be interesting to see if United do that as far as I'd understood how it worked it, it, United had until the summer and Berbatov could uh, negotiate and effectively sign a pre-contract with another side and United could just make that null and void by activating the contract but it's not it's not quite as simple as all that because obviously Glazonomics pays a part and, and Berbatov owns over £5 million a year and, and so extending his contract is a £5 million cost. At Saruman187 asks us the simple question are we going to keep hold of Berber? Yeah, I, d- I don't know. I mean, Ferguson has said yes but I think it's not quite as simple as that. I think if, if they get a bid that's reasonable I mean, if it's anywhere up to £10 million, then then we're talking about a £15 million saving uh, and obviously his fee has been amortised over the length of that contract so uh, on the books it's not going to be any kind of loss at all and and in fact it will be a, a profit yeah a, a profit both in in terms of accounting regulations and in UA, UA for financial fair play so i mean that, that financial fair play does does change the nature of how you um, calculate these things now so economically they might say hmm he's the fourth choice striker we've got seven strikers on the books it might make sense to let him go we haven't got seven i wish i wish people would stop saying we've got seven strikers on the books yes we've got four strikers on the books and some other people yeah, so, well uh, yeah i know i mean these are these are two sides of the argument so you know the economic one might you might look at it like that and then, then in terms of the you know, talent of the player and what he could do does that hat trick now put him ahead of hernandez into third choice striker first reserve sort of thing when Rooney and welbeck are restored uh, so uh, who knows I, d- I don't know the answer to that one i, I still don't know whether united is going to keep him or not I, I think money will definitely play a part though
You know, the best ever United side in my lifetime had four strikers. I think you need four strikers at the very top level. You need four really good strikers. Yeah, you need to... It, sharpness is very important in that position, isn't it? And everyone seems to agree that these days, Ferguson, as we've said before, pioneered the, the squad system in many ways. And, and, and uh, yeah, one injury, uh, you know, one suspension, suddenly you've got two and you can't rotate. So you need to account for players out of form. And, and it's it just makes sense, doesn't it, for top quality strikers. Strikers. The, the the question then is, uh, I mean, obviously, I think most people would agree that Diouf uh, is not good enough for United. There's a, there's a few randoms aside that still like to praise his case. They are random. But then there's the argument, uh, is Macheda ever going to make it? Uh, what's the value of Michael Owen when he's not injured? But you know, it's not very often because uh, he's out of contract in the summer. And and as, you know, the brilliant winner against City and Carlin Cup aside, never demonstrated any significant threat to anyone else in the first team no almost all his goals are in the Carling Cup well a majority of his goals are in the Carling Cup so I think we can discount those as as being that valuable the the argument there would be that he's just taking game time away from youngsters yeah yeah no absolutely of course the counter argument to that is that the youngsters he's taking time away from Uh, one thing that we haven't really ever talked about I don't think on the rank cast is Will Keane who I think is going to be a serious part of this conversation sooner rather than later actually year to 18 months yeah I mean he's got all the talent eh? Six months to a year, I think, given the way the squad is at the moment. I'm, I'm not talking about pushing for the necessarily, obviously, a starting berth, because a starting berth, you know, he's behind a lot of incredibly talented players. But, I mean, he's he's not showing any signs of, sh- showing any signs of slowing down, is he? No, but, but reserve is, is a long it's a long jump to the Premier League. And, and so I'd, I'd expect, if they're not considering loaning him out this winter, uh, which I haven't heard that's going to happen, but you never know, might, might do, um, that they, he'll get alone for next season and uh, get some game time as well. It does depend on what happens with Machado. Seems to be definitely going this winter on loan. Diouf, it looks like they're going to loan him. I think they should sell him for whatever they can get, but they might hope that a loan will, will boost his fees somewhere. And uh, what happens with Dimitar Berbatov and Michael Owen's contract? So there's a few things up in the air. Walking will definitely be a factor at some point. He's got he's got bags and bags of talent. Anyone who's seen him in the reserves will see that he's a player with a, loads of natural gifts. Fine first touch he scores uh, from all kinds of angles from left and right foot likes to drop off as well he's a he's a talented player not just a not just a fox in the box uh, and got got loads about his game he's a little way off the united first team i'd say but um i mean given given that the players that we thought that would be featuring in the first team in some kind of level particularly morrison and bogba have, have not done so at all yeah no absolutely so it's it's it, the berbatov enigma remains and it was but you know for me as a as a as a great lover of Dimitar Berbatov uh, it was lovely it's always lovely to see him playing well and scoring and as you say that second goal I mean it was basically a Christmas miracle that goal because with what seemed to be absolutely no backlift whatsoever he hit a shot that you know to use the cliche would still be going now if it hadn't hit the net loads and loads of power with no backlift and obviously a fine turn yeah excellent goal all round so it's some excellent goals from United they even Park Ji-sung scored after a fine run from Patrice Evra and we, we talked about Evra last week and the fact that he's still surging for forward and beat two men there uh, to set up the goal for, for Park and uh, has still looked something of a liability defensively at times. So. How, did, how did he look at centre-back with Carrick? Yeah, he barely had to do anything. I mean, it was, uh, the second half, it, there was not a lot of pressure coming from Wigan, so he didn't have to deal with much. And, and obviously, Connor Salmon, the, the big man up front, was not on pitch anymore to cause him any trouble. Uh, nice to see Rooney let Berbatov take the penalty for the hat-trick. Yeah, so Berbatov just kind of grabbed the ball. <laughs> and so 
it's, uh, it, I don't think there was much of a debate about that one. A, a terrible, terrible, terrible penalty, sadly. Um, I mean, it, it, it went in, so that's very good. But, you know, dribbling the ball a bit to one side of the goalkeeper, it's not a good recipe for scoring a lot of penalties. Well, that would be one way of looking at it. The other way would be saying that Bobatov was super cool and did his little dummy, saw the keeper going the other way and just rolled it in. Can, Cantonares? <laughs> Yeah. Or, or he mishit it, one of the two. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think he mishit it. I do think he saw the keeper and then trickled it in. But yeah, no, I, I don't like to see that. I don't like to see a casually hit penalty. I like to see the player put the laces through it. Yeah, it's, it's only 12 yards away. If you really whack it, the keeper's not going to save it. So there you go. So, but all of all of which uh, leaves United level on points in Manchester City. And, and I think two months ago, we probably wouldn't have predicted that. And, and 10 goals for, none against in the past sort of 10 days or so. Uh, leaves United only five goals behind or a 6-1 win as one commentator put it City in goal difference and it, it's been a really crucial period and, and City have got uh, well we've obviously got Blackburn Rovers and we'll talk about that in a, a little bit uh, on, on New Year's Eve City play on New Year's Day and and then again 48 hours uh, away at Liverpool and that's going to be a tough fixture for them you know obviously tired Man- Mancini's made a big fuss about this one though could well be that very close into the New Year United uh, top in their own right OK I mean we'll see it'll be exciting if it happens, of course, I, we, we'll do a, we'll do a big mid-season report after a little uh, insert into the show here. This is a real treat for me. I got to speak to one of my very favourite writers about the subject of football and a big Manchester United fan, uh, Andy from Twisted Blood. On the other end of this Skype connection is none other than the award-winning Andy from Twisted Blood. Andy, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure. I think that we've been talking about getting you onto the show for at least most of 2011, and we've snuck it in under the wire. Absolutely. Better late than never. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so first of all, congratulations are in order. You've just won an uh, award for being good at writing about football and that. Uh, yes, that was what it was called. I did. I, met there. I won the award, and then I embarrassed myself in my... Uh, in my post-award interview, so um, I think I came out of the evening roughly an average. I, I don't know quite in what way you embarrassed yourself in that interview, or what would you have liked to have said that you didn't? It wasn't so much what I said, it was just every, I, I kept turning to look at the camera, but accidentally looking at the head of the person who was operating the camera, so I look a bit like I've got mad staring, rolling eyes every time I turn to my left, which makes me look less like a kind of a, you know, pleased award winner and more like a kind of kind of rabid thief, I think. <laughs> I think that's what people expect, though, of people off of the internet is that they expect them to look yeah. well yes i suppose in which case bang on the money <laughs> excellent so we've having you on uh, not just to celebrate your final award but you are a manchester united fan i think it's fair to say that, that would probably be fair yeah uh, how did that happen uh, it happened because of my stepdad who introduced me and my brother to football when i was about eight years old he lived next door to where me and my brother and my mum were living and he would pop over the garden fence and play football with us as you know as he then moved moved in and my him and my mum got married and he introduced us to football by showing this this is a video of football this is a video of Manchester United this is a video of George Best this is what football looks like so we we weren't really given a choice in the matter I think he did you a great service in many well, ways I've, I've certainly had no cause to to upbraid him on it in the uh, in the ensuing years it's it, it, it's gone all right I think it's fair to say your football writing voice is uh, I don't know you you're, you're an interesting mixture of a very celebratory writer when it comes to actual 
call football, but there's a healthy dose of cynicism about the business around football. Is it weird being a United fan in the face of that? Because really, we do represent the apotheosis of a lot of that stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I kind of write from a position that I love football and I really, really love the game. And I think almost everything that takes place around it is malignant and is kind of is kind of dragging down what should be a wonderful shared mutual human experience if that doesn't sound too pretentious you're absolutely right united are kind of the very center of that kind of thing you've got this incredibly incredibly strange kind of ownership structure all around the club and you've got what that does to the club's fan base and you've got the way the club have to kind of deport themselves in terms of chasing sponsorship and the the general kind of incredibly relentless corporate behavior of manchester united and then you contrast that with you know the football itself which while you know isn't always as attacking as we might like it to be but there is a there is a you know tradition of decent football we have some very good players we have some outstanding players to watch so it, 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 it is an interesting contrast and you're absolutely right United are kind of at the forefront of the contradiction of what it is that I tend to try to write about so we reached the end of the calendar year have you had any particular highlights of 2011 well lifting the the big shiny trophy for the 19th time was a good was a good a good moment I thought although I'm, I, I couldn't really enjoy it because the um, the game in which we won it finished just as a very very good friend's wedding started so I had to sprint from a pub to a church uh, well it wasn't a church at all uh, as, as as the game finished no no time to raise a celebratory glass of whiskey no time to sing loud songs and annoy people so I did all that a couple of hours later once the ceremony had finished and I was able to relax but that was good it was it was nice to see Paul Scholes uh, retire in style he's a fantastic footballer and he's, he's one of those ones that's been there for almost all the time I've been watching football so that was a kind of a bittersweet thing other than that, I can't really think of anything. It's, it's been a kind of an odd year, partic- particularly because we're at the end of it. So you always focus on kind of the last six months. And the last six months have been quite quite strange, I think, with kind of the, the, the rise of Manchester City. And then the, are we, are we in crisis? Are we not in crisis? What's going on? Oh, hang on. We're actually quite good at football. Oh, no, we've crashed out the Champions League. We're terrible at football. Oh, no, we're only two points off the top. We're quite good at football again. So it's, it's been an odd one. How do you sum up all that? All that, wait a minute, we seem to be terrible. Oh, we just won 5-0. It's interesting. I think um, I, I wrote about the, the kind of the failure in Europe uh, on, on stretfordend.com and the basically we played very, not very well in all six games of the group stage because United are so used to doing an incredibly professional job in the group stage. I think that kind of became a, a bigger thing in terms of the overall season than perhaps it has to be. And obviously going out of the group stage is a kind of a, a massive shock, but we went out of the group stage because we played badly in six games. We've played a lot more than six games this season, and while we haven't played well in many of them, we've played sufficiently well to not be rubbish, if you see what I mean. So it, it, yeah. it, it's kind of interesting because United fans are always expecting United to win like United, and that's quite right too. You know, It's, it's not unreasonable to expect a squad with the players that we have to, to play attacking football, to play decent football and when we don't it's frustrating but we uh, I think I read a stat that we've had something like the fourth best start to a Premier League season ever from this yeah. point of any club so it can't it can't all be going wrong no it's it's that there clearly are, are a whole load of contradictions happening there's, there's all the off the field contradictions but also the the on the field contradiction of the the general sense that there there are things wrong at united on the pitch i mean jones limped off yesterday so we're down to michael carrick and darren gibson as our midfield options exactly and when when a centre-back limping off limits your midfield options that's indicative of an even larger problem isn't it the squad is ten- terribly unbalanced in places and terribly thin in other places and most of our defence seem to be incredibly injury prone apart from Vidic who's properly injured forever so it, 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 it's an odd one and yet there are, you know, the results 
the results seem to keep stumbling along. So it, whether that's a good thing or whether that simply masks what is a larger structural problem, I don't know. I'm kind of torn because obviously it's churlish to, to complain too much when we, we are not playing as well, but performing as well as we are. But at the same time, you feel that the, the problems with the squad are reflective of the larger malaise with, of the club. I, I've heard it suggested, for instance, that the kind of the, the fact that United permitted Fletcher to attempt to play through his condition is indicative of a of a, t- of a team and a squad that can't necessarily afford to plug the gaps in its squad the way a revenue generating machine of Manchester United size should be able to. I don't necessarily know if that's true, and I'm certain the, you know the club wouldn't have forced Fletcher onto the pitch, and I'm sure Fletcher was more than happy himself to say I want to try and play. But that certainly left a rather a rather sour taste in my mouth. The, you know the idea that an employer would let an employee with that that condition even attempt to play seems slightly strange to me. No, I mean I, I agree, and I, I think I think that the whole way that the club has handled the Fletcher situation really is indicative of exactly that exactly that shortage of resources. So um, I've got a couple of questions about favourite players. One is your, your classic question of of who are your favourite United players of all time? Of the players that I have grown up watching, the all time favourite is is Ryan Giggs because I'm not. I mean, I'm not only a Manchester United fan. I'm also Welsh. So he he fits quite neatly into that. And it was he was always a player I wanted to be in the playground. He was always the, you know, I'd run up and down up and down one wing attempting to beat people falling because I am absolutely horrible at football. Like I am unable to to play it at all. Obviously, having Ryan Giggs as your favourite player has uh, taken on a rather kind of different meaning in the last couple of years. And, you know, presumably there are, because he's such a role model, there are children pretending to be Ryan Giggs behind the bike shed, and that's not necessarily where I'm coming from. Of the the current squads, there's Phil Jones, obviously, who is some kind of divine entity sent down to... uh, sent down to cover for Michael Carrick and also Dimitar Berbatov who he play, sort of plays fo- football the way the way I would like to wish that I played football I think it, he's, a, he's the kind of football that I think I should aspire to I don't I aspire to play football like Ryan Giggs but I think I would like to aspire to play football like Dimitar Berbatov because he is just made of velvet and wonder if that makes sense I don't know if that makes sense I wonder if any of our listeners can see why we've had you on the show because <laughs> you see that's the point of view that we've been espousing for some time that uh, Dimitar Berbatov is made of velvet and wonder and I don't care if his output isn't as consistent as it's supposed to be watching Dimitar Berbatov play football is better than not watching Dimitar Berbatov play football exactly exactly and which is why you know I quite I, if he's not going to do it, play football regularly for United I'd like to see him leave I'd like to see him go and play somewhere else because yeah him playing football makes the world a better place and there aren't that many players that you can say that so about. I that, that was going to be my follow-up question was was favorite players in the current squad Apart from the wonder that is Dimitar Berbatov, who who else in in the current United side? Well, I mean, uh, Phil Jones, like I mentioned, I have a lot more time for Nanny than uh, a lot of people do. A lot of people have absolutely no time for Nanny. I, I like him. I, I can see why people hate him. He's obviously, I don't, you know, I don't like the fact that he dives, or I don't think he does that as much as he used to. I don't like the fact that he rolls around clutching his shins, although, again, I don't think he's done that as much recently. Antonio Valencia is an entirely admirable human being, in, particularly in his refusal to smile, which is a lot of time for. If you score a goal and you, you walk off like you've just sort of hurt your back... <laughs> I, I, admi- I admire that. Uh, you see, I think I think you might be losing a role model though, because I I have seen him grinning with increased regularity recently. Oh really? Oh, that's disappointing. Okay, well, if Antonio Valencia develops some kind of happiness, then I don't like him anymore. I'm, I'm a big fan of Danny Welbeck. I think he plays very good football. I think he plays very intelligent football, and I think he's going to do very well. And a big fan of Javier Hernandez as well, just because he's he's cuddly. I, 
this is undeniable. You didn't mention, I notice, um, our talismanic number 10 there. How, how do you feel about Rooney in general? Because I'd imagine maybe mixed feelings. Well, yeah, I think mixed feelings is fair. He's obviously an excellent player and we are a better team when he's playing and we're we're, we're a much better team when he's playing well but you know he wanted to leave and as much as he changed his mind and saw the light and was persuaded to stay by bags and bags of cash it's hard to genuinely love a player who has you know turned around and said I'm done with this club I want to move on and it's even harder to love a player who said I'm done with this club I want to move on I want to move there yeah so you know it, I, I don't think Wayne Rooney will ever be certainly for me, will ever be unequivocally adored, unequivocally admired. But, you know, he plays for United and United are a better team when he does. So, you know, every Saturday or no, every Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning now, then I will obviously cheer him on as much as, as much as the next United fan. But he did for his... He did for his legendary status then, I think. Yeah, no, I don't. I agree with both both aspects of that. So, uh, I guess we should move on to predictions for the calendar year ahead. It's weird doing end-of-year stuff on a football show because football does not run in years. It runs in seasons. No. But, you know, the, the whole of society is looking back at the past year and looking forward to the year ahead what what do you think 2012 has in store for united in in kind of in terms of trophies i don't i don't think we're going to i don't think we're going to get any i would unless city blow the league i don't think we have the um i don't think we got the quality to reel them in in kind of as we would have done in past years perhaps i mean it, it is possible that they fall apart you know we don't necessarily know how Mancini and that squad will do from a front runner's perspective but I think it, you know, as it stands and because of the depth of squad they've got because of the resources they've got it is theirs to lose I think yeah I think we'll do we'll do we'll, we'll go fairly deep in most of the cups but I I think the kind of the transition season thing is 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 used too often by football fans as an excuse. But this genuinely is a transitional season for United. You've got you've got the you know, we're trying trying to work out where all these good young players that we've got are best to play. And we've got a defence that Vidic aside, and we have to put Vidic aside for at least the rest of the season, is kind of either old and edging towards the exit door in Ferdinand and Evra, or is young but not quite know what to do with them, Smalling, particularly Jones, or young and very breakable like the the De Silvers or Johnny Evans and however you feel about Johnny Evans Johnny Evans is the question that doesn't quite know how to answer itself (laughs) and so and yeah and David De Gea is a magnificent goalkeeper and will be an incredibly good goalkeeper but he's very young doesn't speak English yet and Lindegaard is going to have to have games because he's also very good and then you know how do we play our three wingers in two wing positions how do we fit Brian Giggs in what the hell do we do in the middle of the field who plays up front with Rooney this is it's United squad of questions at the moment and they're good questions they're interesting questions and they're questions that have lots of potential positive answers to them but I, I, I don't think this is going to be necessarily a, a glorious year well thank you very very much for coming on and talking to us about it if it's not a glorious year ahead it's been glorious talking to you well thank you very much uh, we will definitely have you back on the show well, I'd, I'd love to come on thank you for having me Good. So, uh, excellent interview there, Paul. And some of the themes in that conversation about the year to come and the year just gone. So perhaps we should think about our, our sort of midterm report, if you if you like. I normally do a little wrap up of the, the season at its midway point. We're nearly there. 18 Premier League games gone as we're recording this and uh, the Champions League campaign 
done already sadly and and give a few rankings to the manager and players i haven't quite got that one up yet but but what do you what do you say i mean i think it's about a off the top of my head it's about a c plus or a six out of ten so far i mean on the one hand we're as we've just said nearly top of the league nearly you know if you were city you'd call it joint top but we're we're not joint top we're we're second on goal difference and and that's pretty good and uh, ferguson's always said that that's where he'd like to be obviously enough experience in the team uh, to make the count over the second part of the season on the other hand dumped out of europe uh, at the group stage out of the carling cup and looking at a pretty tough prospect in the fa cup yeah i don't know uh, maybe a seven out of ten for for the league i think maybe the the league performance is worth a uh, worth bumping that from a six to a seven for me it's a difficult one because because you know i kind of want to talk about it in 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 two different ways one is given the glazers situation we're doing miraculously well that's that's what i think so given the given the situation the reality of the situation we're actually facing we're handling it as well as could possibly be expected on the pitch i mean off the pitch basically united fans are constantly being lied to by their manager and hero and that's kind of difficult to take and the club is you know peddling a myth about its financial well-being and that, that's very difficult to take i mean so so in that sense in the face of glazonomics i think we're you know a b plus would be a, a perfectly reasonable score to give it but you can't really score it in those terms because we're supposed to be competing on a level playing field with the whole of european football and then we're not a b plus in that sense you know because we're as you say we crashed out of the champions league yeah f, f for fail in the champions league wasn't it the way we've responded to the 6-1 defeat and going out of the champions league has been truly remarkable actually and you know in real life the things that are interesting to me are not when everything's going well and smoothly that, that does, that's kind of meaningless What what's relevant to the character of a person is how they deal with adversity and how a football team deals with adversity is a kind of true re- revelation of its character and actually the players of Manchester United are a credit to the club on the pitch yes yeah and I think given I mean it's a similar theme to last year really given the limited results is available to Ferguson he, he always manages to you know, create something that's greater than the sum of its parts and and there are a lot of, lots of factors that, that could have dragged United down this season obviously integration of new younger players Welbeck Jones Smalling obviously he's been at the club a year De Gea and uh, that could have caused some problems and um, maybe you can attribute some of the Champions League exit to that and then obviously the injury problems have been significant and ongoing although some of it not unexpected and and all of that uh, is a, a mitigating factor, I think. Uh, having said that, uh, uh, what, what's our judgment based on? Is it is it based on uh, we're starting with a blank sheet of paper? How have we done? Well, it's it's pretty good in the league and, and not so good in Europe. Or is it based on what our expectations are? Because I think when when we came to the, the end of the Champions League final last year, the debate very quickly and Ferguson did this, moved it on to let's let's see how we can learn from this and catch up with Barcelona. Well, actually, we were rest and and uh, if last season was an 8 out of 10 19th or 9 out of 10 even 19th Premier League title and Champions League final then this has definitely regressed from there yeah uh, I mean that's I think it's it's undeniable isn't it you know and that's 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 why the performance in the league is sort of really all the more remarkable I mean some ways in some ways it speaks very poorly for the quality of the Premier League I think as a whole you know we make fun of uh, Spanish football for 
being the new SPL, but basically it is. You know, the, the, there's only two teams that could win the league in Spain, and I think at the beginning of the season you probably wouldn't have said that there's only two teams that could possibly win the league in England, but now it really is looking very likely that unless something terrible happens to us and City and somehow Harry Redknapp engineers some sort of miracle and keeps Adibayor playing well throughout the season, there's only really two teams that can win it in England. Yes, I think I think you're right. There really are only two teams that can win it in England. I, th- I think there's uh, there's greater depth in the top sort of four or five um, uh, in England and in Spain. Although I think the overall quality is probably a touch lower now in the Premier League, and and probably results bear that out. I mean, c- certainly I think the best two in the Premier League are some way below the best two in Spain at the moment. Oh yeah, a long a long way below. But but three, four, five, and six in Spain are not that great. And Villarreal were terrible in the Champions League this year. Valencia. Well, they're neither they're neither th- third, fourth, fifth, or sixth in Spain. In no, fairness. in fairness, they're not. Uh, they're having a really poor season. And Valencia is an interesting case because they're, they're a club on, you know, on the precipice of bankruptcy almost on a daily basis and having to sell their best players all the time. And and they they seem to keep pulling out gems either from the youth academy or, or from around Spain. And uh, Soldado is is scoring bags of goals, and he'll almost certainly be sold in the summer in order to finance their their debt repayment and their half finished stadium so it's um it's an interesting one that the 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 top two in spain are not likely to be challenged anytime soon no absolutely although interestingly enough i just had a look at the table to check this out Uh, they're only four points off barcelona They're only, there's only four, which is not... They're know, having a not... remarkable season. Valencia are having a remarkable season, given given they sold Juan Mata and, and previously sold David Villa and David Silva and, and uh, the, matter, the talent drain leaving the club and the fact that they're still in, you know, within within a few points is, is pretty remarkable. It's almost United-esque. <laughs> so harsh. I was just making reference to our talent drain over the last few years uh, through selling or retirement. Uh, yeah, John O'Shea, yeah. Wes Brown... How did we cope without them? <laughs> hey, listen, in the last three years, Paul Scholes and Cristiano Ronaldo, two players with a justifiable shout to be in an all-time football eleven, have left our club. So, you know. Tottenham, interestingly enough, will be only four points off us and City if they win their game in hand, which is against... Yeah, and they're having a fine season, but you, you do expect them to drop more points than, than United and City. I, I think they're two players off. I, definitely a central defender. They could really, really do with a fit central defender of yeah. the various highest order. But their front six is very, very good, and that's that's why they're right in contention. And, and we'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting challenge in the second half of the season for those Champions League places. Because if you believe that City and United have got two of them um, wrapped up, then then Arsenal, Tottenham, and Chelsea are all fighting it out for the next two. And I think Liverpool are just a shade behind that. I mean, part of me thinks this is a really ridiculous thing to say. So please, please accept that I don't mean this exactly, but it's just sort of a possibility. If if our injury crisis doesn't significantly improve we could go on a real bad run at some point in the second half of the season you know it's not it's not impossible that that some really nasty we've got some very tough fixtures in the second half of the season and you know absolutely that Europa League if we if we do anything like well in that Europe that's just like an infinite number of games it goes on forever doesn't it I, I think Ferguson will be all praying uh, and uh, to, to whatever God he believes in mainly money well no I think I think as according to uh, the, according to Roy Keane 
the god of Sir Alex Ferguson is the god that he believes yes, in. Yes, uh, he, he has taken on a kind of slightly megalomaniacal quality at the moment, Ferguson. He, he, he can't distinguish between saying I or me and United. It's one and the same thing to him. And it's uh, so you know, when uh, United drew Ajax in the Europa League, he said, I've never played Ajax before. It's interesting. Well, I mean, he, he you know, he might be talking about his, he did have a lot of European football before before he came to United. So I, I do jest a bit, but uh, it, it is a traitor, Ferguson, at the moment. It's quite uh, quite funny. But what did you make of all that King stuff, by the way? Because we've not talked about that at all. Uh, well, he, he had some very sound points, didn't he? I mean, it's, he's an ex-player, and uh, ex-players challenging Ferguson. He's never going to go down well. A, a with the fans, because Ferguson has such a bank of credit that he can say almost anything, and fans will justify it. If any player has that same bank of credit with the fans, if, and apart from Eric Cantona, it's Roy Keane. Yeah, I know. Look, he made some very sound points. I mean, he, he made a point about the less quality in the side than the past. He made a point about the young players, a point he's made before, of course, rather famously. Uh, n- not the exact same point, but very similar. Um, and I thought it was a slightly cheap shot from Ferguson to uh, to have a go at Keane's managerial record as a result. It wasn't, wasn't really relevant uh, to that conversation. I mean, um, I know Ferguson has zero respect for pundits full stop, so uh, maybe Gary Neville will get that shot too if he, uh, if he ever criticises United on, on air. Fortunately, that's never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> he might criticise United, but he's never going to criticise Fergie, is he? This is probably very true. But but back to your original point about about the injuries and and uh, you know it could mean a bad run. Well, look, just look at United's fixtures. Okay, Blackburn at home, you'd say it was a banker, even if we put out the under fives because Blackburn are just terrible. But Newcastle away, definitely not an easy game. Then the FA Cup game with City, uh, and I think all the fans would certainly say it's very important. It'd be interesting to see what kind of side Ferguson puts out there. But but that's a trophy United could in theory win. And so yeah, then then we've got Bolton, okay, at home, banker, then away at Arsenal, and and uh, in in the following weeks, Chelsea and Liverpool. So we're definitely, and that's all before mid February. So there's we've got sort of six week period where we do play five or six games against uh, the the very toughest of opponents, and uh, it's really going to test you know Ferguson's squad depth if if some of these injury, injured players don't come back. I mean, there's talk that Tom Cleverley's now back in training, but he's been out for so long. It might well be uh, yeah, three or four weeks before he's really playing. So we're talking you know, late Jan, early February before he's in the first team, and then uh, however long before he's sharp and Anderson out till February. Vidic out for the entire season. Michael Owen, God knows. Uh, so there's, there's uh, Ashley Young for weeks apparently uh, with his ankle problems. So and there's there's definitely no guarantee he's going to get that core of five or six players who could be in the first team back. No, absolutely. That's that's very much the case. But equally, you know, I had me pessimistic head on a second ago. Equally, you know, we could pull it off and we are in fantastic form to be going into this. And some of our very important players are playing really, really well, assuming that Phil Jones comes back undamaged from this. You know, Rooney's form recently, Valencia's form, Nani's form, uh, and now, you know, potentially Berbatov's form as well means means that there's, there's a potential for an awful lot of exciting play in a month all that so you know it, it, it's just the season is at the halfway stage wonderfully balanced on a precipice you know and and as very exciting as a football fan you know yeah it'd be lovely if we were 12 points clear and everyone was fit and we were cruising to the Premier League and could focus all our attention on you know finding a way of beating Barcelona in the Champions League but it's just not the team that we are at the moment we're not the second best team in world football at the moment but but maybe we should be but no, that's a that's a debate for another day I mean well, but we we, we should Sure, we should be if it wasn't for the Glazers' situation. 
situation, but the Glazer situation is our reality. Right, so what did you make of Ferguson's insistence? I mean, you know, aside from the fact that he denies that there's any kind of problem in, with his central midfield and was quite um, quite vociferous in his programme notes about uh, not listening to tweets and blogs who keep on going on about it. And uh, he, he might as well have said podcasts, mightn't he? Because you know he's listening. Yeah, all right, so Alex. Yeah, well, we know Ferguson listens, so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, enjoy your Christmas whiskey. I didn't send him some. <laughs> you haven't no. sent him any since the Glazers took over, have you? It's your protest. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Uh, so, but, but what did you make of that? That A, that, that insistence that he has transfer money, and, and it's just the fact that United I don't now can't it. find any players that are good enough. So, I mean, it's gone from the Ronaldo money is there to there's no value in the market to there's no players that are good enough for United. I just don't understand his logic, unless he's just trying to get the fans who will believe anything he says on side. Because, you know, he said he had a go at the blogs and, and what he described as endless tweets, <laughs> where, where he's, I'm blaming Nick Kopak, I think he's filtering some of your stuff into the club somehow, or, or Rio's telling him, hey, by the way, boss, they won't shut up about getting a central midfielder, you know, I don't understand, or he's got a secret Twitter account, that's of course always a possibility, although why he would do that to himself, I have no idea. But Yeah, it'd be interesting, it may, do you reckon he's 28 Darren Gibson? <laughs> No, he's the one who actually got at the G-bomb. That's uh, that's what happened. No, I mean, you know, it's all very well for him to say, I know better about football than all these people talking about it on the internet, which is, it's definitely true. Alex Ferguson knows a lot more about how to run Manchester United than I do. I, I just look from the outside and say, well, to me, it looks like X, Y and Z, but I have no expertise and he's the best football manager of all time. So uh, I will, he has the upper hand in this debate, but to me, he's just lying I I don't understand why he's taken this tack beyond passionate self-interest it doesn't seem to me for the good of United as a whole for the long run to just keep saying no everything's fine look no everything's fine I mean in some ways everything's fine we we are equal on points with a team that spent millions and mil- hundreds of millions of pounds to get where they are uh, with an absolutely injury ravaged squad so and Andy's building a team with a really exciting future so in, in those senses everything is fine but on the other hand to say we're not short in central midfield and anyone on the internet who says so is an idiot you know that seems crazy to me yes well I don't think he, I don't think he called everyone idiots but he said he said that he wouldn't be listening to them and, and uh, it's, it's the kind of dismissive tone that uh, I guess uh, does annoy some people I mean of course Ferguson um, will have many many backers in this because he is the messiah and people will back him to, to whatever hilt is necessary I, I suppose um, I, I mean I have to say I personally find uh, I find that tone quite insulting and when he tells the press lies he tells the fans lies because that's how he talks to the fans so there you go I mean I was, I was going to ask you how you felt about it because you are obviously an actual prominent Manchester United blogger you know a lot of people read what you say about United and so he basically was yeah well I mean I, was, I joked when Ferg- I said Ferguson reads I mean I don't expect that he reads any of this or listens to it and or even cares but someone has probably told him that uh, uh, this happens or he gets a report on it from, from the PR department or, wh- or whatever I, I can't imagine that Ferguson actually pays any heed to it at 
all he certainly doesn't pay heed to so what journalists thinks uh, of him uh, well at least in direct conversation with them so so I was, I was kind of jesting about that what, what do I think about it I think uh, I don't think about it uh, in terms of uh, having run a blog I think about it in terms of the fans I think when Ferguson tells Porky's to the press he tells Porky's to the fans because that is his link with supporters and he's never actually got that one he sees it as a battle with the press and the thing is when it's a battle with the press it's a battle with the fans too that's a real shame because if, if the only outlet then of direct communications with the fans is United Review and ManUnited.com we know that you know the Pravda as uh, they used to be called in Red Issue years ago and, and we know we're not going to be getting the whole picture from them no of course not I, yeah it, it is just it is sad when he sort of dismisses passionate fan debate in the way that he did but I imagine it would be maddening if you're Sir Alex Ferguson and you know most of what people write and tweet and talk about is things that could be better you know most of it isn't just rent endless reams of praise which in some ways he does deserve just endless one after the other articles about what an amazing manager he is because he's the best of all time but as we said he's a complicated character and he's done some things to mean that mean that 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 unconditional love is not there in the same way or it's not even about unconditional love because actually I think there is a, a large aspect of unconditional love that that unconditional acceptance of everything he says as being gospel on the other hand that, that definitely isn't there and nor has he earned the right for it to be there no I think there's uh, there is a healthy level of cynicism uh, and especially when he says things like I'm perfectly happy with my midfield uh, and there's loads of money yeah. there <laughs> yeah oh, I was watching watching the Tottenham game last night as we record this and just watching Luka Modric and thinking 16 million pounds and really really reasonable wages that's that's the legacy of Luka Modric over the last you know three three and a half seasons at Spurs you know maybe maybe we didn't need him in 08 but I think we did and just the idea that there's no one out there just even Van der Vaart you know for all his kind of slight hot and cold tendencies the amount that Van der Vaart could have added to United over the last two seasons mm-hmm. you know it's to say there's no one out there good enough for the he's saying there's no one out there better than Darren Gibson that is what he's officially saying yes yes although no one available but of course everyone's available when it comes to the right price which is the key component of this. So anyway, United will go into games against Blackburn at Old Trafford um, on New Year's Eve, as I said, and then uh, Newcastle away uh, four days later with probably the same squad. I don't imagine that there'll be anyone added in the early days of the transfer window or, in fact, uh, at all in the transfer window. And, and how do you see those two games? I mean, Smalling and Jones should be back, so at least that'll give United a more recognisable back four. And, uh, I mean, Evans out and Ferdinand I don't think will be back for the Blackburn game so we might well see Smalling and Jones in the back four and, and Raphael come into it uh, but plenty of changes, changes elsewhere but you'd think whatever United put out would be an easy victory uh, over Blackburn who are just terrible well they are just terrible but they just drew one all with Liverpool admittedly Liverpool are not exactly firing at the moment and Blackburn were pretty lucky to survive that one all but you know they've got a few decent players obviously I think it's a home win um, I think it's a home win when you know some of the best teams come to town so Blackburn should it should be fine it shouldn't be a problem I mean Wigan interestingly had just got a couple of decent results uh, against big teams and if you can still call Liverpool a big team then Blackburn have just done the same but 
but United United should have way too much for Blackburn. I mean, it, it's a great fixture to have as our defence is still recovering. Although they they have scored goals this season, Blackburn. You know, they they they've, they've got Big Yak, one of my all-time favourite oversized footballers, uh, up front. Uh, one thing that the the spectre of the last couple of games has raised, which we've had questions about from at Joe Diego twenty four and at Mierta twenty three. What do we think of the goalkeeping situation? Because Anders has played two in a row and kept two clean sheets and looked excellent. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it's really changed. I don't think this is a, a change in the ranking order or anything like that. I think it's a it's a break for De Gea in the middle of the season, and I fully expect David De Gea to to regain the shirt for the game against Blackburn. He, he's just rotating his resources, and we'll, we'll see. At some point, he can't keep doing that, but uh, for for the remainder of the season, it seems to be that that's his choice. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I think we talked about this in some length last week, and, and I think we both feel the same way, that De Gea is United's number one, and Lindegaard will play way more than most number twos do, because he's much better and much younger than most number twos, and De Gea is, you know, much younger than most number ones. Yep, right. So yeah, and I, I think that we'll see De Gea against uh, Blackburn and Newcastle, that's that's my uh, suspicion. Maybe Lindegaard gets one more game against Blackburn, and De Gea comes back into the side against Newcastle. But I think if he plays three in a row, then that starts got to start niggling at De Gea. One one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, when when he signed Lindegaard, do you think he said, by the way, in the summer De Gea's coming or something along those lines? I doubt it. Right. I, I I think the conversation would have been, it's Manchester United calling. Do you want to sign for Manchester United? Right. And uh, there needs to be conversation, competition for places. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, who knows the kind of conversations Ferguson actually has with players. When they when they sign, but uh, I don't think there'd have been uh, any promises of of future appearances or or the other way round. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, it's uh, no, I don't. I think it'd been a, a, a no-brainer for a for a professional sportsman of Lingard standing at the time at a you know, relatively small club, presumably on relatively small wages as well, uh, and a player at uh, 26 who who had a career behind him, but but not one that was full of success or in fact many games. So I'm sure that was a, a just just a, yeah no brainer to to take that one on and and he look he's uh, he's performed admirably he's he basically just doesn't make any mistakes he's a very solid keeper whether he has that little bit extra or not I, I'm still not sure but it's just he's just done fine I mean it's it's a, it's a I can't I can't think of anything to criticise him about except for distribution uh, other than his distribution which is pretty poor yeah but I mean in a way his distribution is just it, he just can't do the extraordinary things that De Gea can with his distribution it's not like he's giving the ball away with his distribution he's just playing much simpler passes yeah so I don't know I, yeah I got a lot of time for him and also you know he comes across as an all round excellent chap yes yes and he's there he's got a very amusing Twitter account as well which is a, it's always a good read yeah absolutely unlike almost all other footballers Twitter accounts okay In- including Joey Barton who uh, announced today on Twitter that he's named his son Cassius interesting I assume it's a homage to Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali who, who rejected the name Cassius Clay because it was his ancestor's slave name uh, and uh, came out Hamid Ali when he uh, took the Muslim faith. Uh, so interesting or it could have been the Roman senator who plotted to kill Julius Caesar. So uh, either way, interesting name there. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think he just thought, I don't know, how can we get a really pretentious sounding name? I'm slightly surprised he didn't call him Morrissey, to be honest. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he's, of course, an ex-Newcastle player. We travelled to Newcastle. Not going to be an easy game, that one. No, it cer- certainly isn't. Definitely has some interesting games at St. James's Park over the years, haven't we? I mean, the the, the thrashing uh, more than a decade ago now and, and uh, Eric Cantona's goal in the 1-0 win that basically turned the season around and United overcame a 12-point gap and, and, and all sorts of other games uh, that have been um, really fantastic. Obviously, all the clichés come out out a great crowd in Newcastle and the passionate fans the ridiculously over demanding fans who expect success even though there's never actually been any I sort of love them though and, and the fact they've actually got a decent side you know with a, with a good back four and, and, and all of that and uh, Indem Babara a player who could probably play at a, a higher level still he's in ridiculous form at the moment Indem Babara I mean one thing that I'm fairly confident about is if we don't have a pretty top draw back four by that point we'll concede a goal to Demba Bar because he he's just a scoring machine. Indeed, indeed. So it's it's going to be a tough game, and I, I'm sure. I mean, looking at it like that, uh, we'd probably be happy with the draw. But but as I said before, I mean, City have have got these two games in very quick succession, uh, including a game against Liverpool before we play Newcastle I believe so they, they get almost no break so it could well be that City uh, are back on top or it could well be that they've dropped some points and this is a chance uh, in that game at Newcastle to establish a lead in the Premier League for the first time in quite a long time yeah I mean that that City-Liverpool game on Tuesday night is going to be massive isn't it, it it's, at, it's at City uh, which I think makes a, an enormous difference did you say it was at, at Liverpool oh I did uh, my mistake yes yes uh, no, that, that, that's right they go to Sunderland and uh, they they host Liverpool, which which does make a big difference. But but even so, it's still going to be a tough fixture for them with with no time at all to prepare for it. Away at Sunderland is not going to be a walk in the park either because they've obviously they're having a bit of a Martin O'Neill inspired uh, renaissance, and you know they they could cause City some trouble. They could definitely be difficult to walk past. Although having said all this, if that result was you know nil six, that wouldn't be a big surprise either. No, I mean, but maybe the pressure will be on. I mean, Jay Hart. Uh, has said that they're now feeling the pressure. I mean, we expect a United win. That will take United three points clear. Uh, then the pressure will definitely be on City to go and win. They've not had that for some time, really. They're, they've always been exceeding expectations in many ways in terms of at least their history and, and all of that. So uh, the pressure will be on. There, there are, of course, lots of big-name players at that club who've been there and done it for other clubs, but not as a collective. And, and it will be a real test of how Roberto Mancini manages his resources and his squad and, and all of that and it looks like they're, they're not going to go out and spend loads of money in the transfer window unless they can get rid of a couple of big name players and, and obviously Tevez being the, the key one that they want to get off the books there absolutely well all this is still to come so it's, it's this is the first show the last show of 2011 it's been a year of some highlights and some real massive lowlights uh, Champions League final and the 6-1 drubbing easily being the worst moments of uh, 2011 we were asked to talk about our worst moments of 2011 by SKT 1994 and how we can go about correcting them in 2012 I don't think there's much sign of us being able to correct the Champions League final result but but there's an awful lot of signs of us being able to correct that 6-1 drubbing and I think in many ways we've sort of already corrected that by the way we've handled the league since then Yeah there's 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 been absolutely no sign of United falling apart so yeah, had that period of just bedding down, consolidating and a whole bunch of 1-0 wins and in retrospect 
suspect that was exactly what United needed to tighten up and, and we did and didn't play some attractive football at all during that period but but have come out the other side three games in a row now QPR, Fulham and Wigan played some very good football in all of those games uh, scored goals uh, at least in the, the latter two and, and go into a period now where we can take the lead in the Premier League it's some definitely some tough real tough games to come and of course uh, it's, uh, it's obvious but the second half of the season is going to decide where United uh, uh, succeed or fail interesting stat in the Telegraph this week uh, on average in the Premier League United average 1.79 points more in the second half of the season than the first half so not not exactly that United are much stronger in the second half of the season bit of a miss but I think the key thing here is is how do other teams do because uh, United do not seem to crumble under pressure and uh, will Manchester City that's the big question did you say we average 1.79 points per game no per 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 half of the season per half of a season okay right because I was I was going to say that doesn't sound like not an unbelievable uptick because it is I mean this has been one of our best first half of the seasons ever in the Premier League hasn't it yeah way way more points than so you took the 1999 season one of the most successful ever I, I think we were at halfway stage with something like 38 points and United will, will have way more than that way more than that so it's uh, it's been a really good season uh, top of the form table away from home <laughs> Hash, ha- hashtag things you never thought you'd hear <laughs> exactly given last season's away from home form and uh, and so yeah we weren't expecting that just the one defeat and uh, albeit a heavy one but uh, but all in all things are looking good question marks over the quality of the squad for sure and it's a squad that is not as good as previous incarnations and and we're definitely a fantasy player in the middle of the park shot in, in my humble opinion uh, obviously not Sir Alex Ferguson's less than humble opinion but but there you go so it's all about opinions isn't it no it's not that's a, it's a complete myth that it's all about opinions it's about people kicking balls yes uh, talking of kicking balls uh, the uh, poor old Julia but it's, uh, this is a it's becoming a common injury now poor old Gillian midfielder I don't want to hear you say these words he took one in the uh, the crown jaws and had five stitches <laughs> in a deep gash to his scrotum yeah listeners listeners make him stop <laughs> um, terrible following on from Scott Dan's twisted nut Ah! <laughs> Making me make working noises over here. That's terrible. Um, well, listeners, I hope you've had a lovely Christmas <laughs> and that your vital organs remain intact. We wish you all the very, very best for 2012. I'm sure that whatever happens uh, in terms of success or failure, it's it's going to be exciting and worthy of discussion at Manchester United because it always is and uh, we'll be here pretty much every week to talk about it. So thank you for your company in 2011. Uh, it's been a pretty significant year for the rank cast hasn't it ed we've uh, doubled our listenership since the start of uh, 2011 I certainly have and and uh, we managed to get a rank cast out pretty much every week which is a remarkable achievement yeah it is i can't can't quite believe it i'm not promising that we'll be able to do that for the 2012-13 season but for the rest of 11-12 for sure we are here with you almost every week yeah ed of course i wish you all the very best for 2012 i hope it's a marvelous year in your household uh, and and you too and let, let's let's hope our predictions are 
somewhat better than over the past year because they've been pretty terrible. Uh, you got two nil QPR. We didn't talk about that. I did actually. I did. Yes. And the fact that the fact that it's so noteworthy that one of us because every week say there's two games and two of us make predictions. We hit the actual score so infrequently. It's unbelievable. I, I mean, it's happened like three times ever. Shows how much we know. So talking of which, your predictions for the coming games? Four-one United against Blackburn and uh, Hart versus Head. One all draw at Newcastle. Head wins for predictions. <laughs> so I, I, I think United comfortable win with Blackburn. Pro- probably three nil or something along those lines. I think we'll go to St James Park and win one nil because we're we're great on the road apparently. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I hope you're right and I'm wrong, and I very much look forward to the year ahead. Yeah.